millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. We dive into the story behind the story when it comes to this week's landmark U.S. soccer deal with Turner Sports. More free soccer is coming to Spanish-language viewers. The NFL is making a big change to help Fox's World Cup. You, the listeners, share your secrets about improving the ESPN Plus experience. And last but not least, we share our recommendations of what to watch this weekend. My name is Christopher Harris, and we're joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Now, Kartik, this is something I've purposely done over probably the last few years of doing this podcast is I try to stay away away from politics because it's one of those things that, as you see on Facebook, right, and other places, it just gets into a big mess and there's kind of the left and the right and the middle. But in this case, we have to talk about politics because uh, with Russia being the aggressor, invading into Ukraine and uh, declaring war. I mean, we stand in uh, solidarity with the people of uh, Ukraine. Uh, What a mess this is, Kartik. I mean, and that's the thing, though, too, is that in some ways with Russia, I think you reap what you sow, Russia. I mean, Russia bribed their way to to get the rights to the 2018 World Cup. uh, And now they've started a war with Ukraine. They've threatened to use nuclear weapons. And now they've been ostracized globally. Well, we'll get into this in a second. Globally, as well as kicked out of World Cup qualification. Ostracized globally, yes. But interesting, as we're recording this on Friday, uh, China is set to pull TV coverage of Premier League this weekend on Chinese television as a result of planned shows of support for Ukraine at the matches in England. So China's taken a stand with Russia, which is a scary situation, Kartik. But it's really interesting how, I think, how sports, specifically soccer, has taken a stand on this in, in a very, very aggressive manner, as as they should. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I am, am proud of everyone associated with English football. I, I tweeted that last Sunday that I was so proud of the fact that there were these spontaneous, some were planned, but many were spontaneous uh, demonstrations of sympathy and loyalty and support for the people of Ukraine in, in the wake of this uh, Russian aggression. 
And there has been a significant backlash against Russian oligarchs in terms of public opinion in Western Europe. Now, some countries have done more than others. I would argue the United Kingdom, which has been one of the two great laundromats, if you will, for Russian oligarch money and money connected to Putin. They haven't done enough, uh, but the heat is coming. So that's why you see Roman Abramovich putting Chelsea up for sale this week, and you see uh, some of the other measures going on. I would say the other great laundromat, by the way, besides London, has been the state of Florida, where you and I reside. But um, I think that it's been really great to see football come together. It's been wonderful to see that, uh, you know, I've had this concern, and I've expressed it for a number of years, that FIFA has tried to move the global game as far away from Western Europe as possible, that Western Europe has much stronger... uh, laws in in terms of anti-corruption and there's a a degree and support for morality and ethics in governance that is stronger in Western Europe than I think it is in the rest of the world. There are some exceptions, right? But as a whole, if you're going to talk about a whole region, I think Western Europe is more into government ethics and and transparency and those sorts of things. And FIFA doesn't demonstrate that. So my view was, and I I did did a space on this on Twitter the other day, and some people listened to this podcast and jumped on and said that, which was kind of cool. Uh, We had about 90 people on there, but a lot more than I'm accustomed to getting when I do these, these spaces on Twitter. And the general view was that FIFA had, in fact, aligned the game with Putin, the world game with Putin and other and some other bad actors around the world, and that FIFA would do nothing, and that they would probably award Russia a walkover into the World Cup. Um, but public opinion got to them, and maybe the other sponsors got to them, and maybe other economic pressures got to them. But for whatever the reason, they, they, they did what they did, which, which we are very happy about. UEFA did what they've done in terms of, of, of dealing with, uh, with Russia and Russian clubs, which, I mean, I feel bad for the players of Spartak, but it's just the way it goes uh, at this point. And then uh, I would also say we're seeing great shows of uh, of solidarity from the Bundesliga uh, changing their their logo temporarily to Ukrainian colors. The uh, the EFL, the Football League in, in in the UK, which or in England, which covers everything below uh, the Premier League Championship on down to League League, league Two, uh, all the other professional leagues changing their logo temporarily. So that's great to see, and I think football is showing. Chris, this is the most important thing. Football is showing we can have a voice and we can affect world events when we stick together and when we're united i have to ask you though kartik because i want to get your opinion on this is and let me talk through it for a minute but why is it that we're not seeing that same thing from major league soccer so last weekend was the opening weekend of major league soccer if you looked at uh, football or soccer from around the world last weekend you had players uh in england wearing the the ukrainian flags you had in the in the League Cup final, you had kind of a spontaneous Liverpool and Chelsea coming together right before kickoff. Uh, and you had Ralph uh, uh, Rangnick holding up a, a peace sign uh, and all the players for, from both teams. Oh, man. Talk, talk about a guy who's lucky. He got out of Russia just in time, didn't he, uh, Rangnick? The Man United job was now a godsend for him. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but Major League Soccer, it's interesting because the only type of action I've seen is from the supporters. So you had Columbus Crew fans, I think, in the march to the stadium. Uh, you had, uh, some, I think, some maybe some of the Portland fans with with some flags in the crowd. You had, I think, in some of the stadiums like Philadelphia Union, they had a pre match uh, kind of um, something on the scoreboard in support of Ukraine. Uh, but on the field, from a television perspective, 
I haven't seen any change, any anything, anything really, really kind of uh, in support of Ukraine on the field with the players on television. Now it's kind of ancillary. It's it's either in the stadium or it's the fans. Why 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 would you say that is Kartik? What's what's your what's your thoughts on that? Well, a couple of things. Well, I actually was asked something very similar to this on TalkSport last night when I was on about why we hadn't quite yet seen the reaction to Russian investment in sport in the United States that we've seen in the UK, Germany, France, etc., uh, Western Europe. And I think it's a couple of things. I think Americans are very isolated in their thought process when it comes to, to sports. They're very domestic-based. They're very much into this idea that of, of uh, America being isolated and superior. A lot of them are. I think many of them know nothing about world affairs. They, uh, they may now be kind of getting outraged about Putin, but there was a lot of sympathy for Putin as the, the march to this war – uh, and the buildup was ongoing. You saw political parties and political opponents unite in Western Europe. They did not uh, uh, unite in the United States. I mean, uh, up until the night before the Russian invasion, you had certain prominent television commentators on the right and certain prominent politicians on the left or, or former elected officials on the left, essentially parroting the po- talking points of the Kremlin. That was not going on in Western Europe. So I think that there's this, this, this lack of sensitivity to what's going on. And then there's also just reflexively in the American population, and, and uh, there are many factors for this, but the American population, contrary to maybe the global narrative of the Americans being warmongers and war hawks, uh, the U.S. is very anti-war. I've never seen in my lifetime the U.S. be this dovish on both sides of the political spectrum, right, Democrats and Republicans. It, it's even stronger, I think, among far left and far right people. Both are very anti-war, anti-intervention. So they uh, they just can't be bothered, honestly. I, I, I think also there is a general kind of acceptance and reverence for ownership in this country, which we've talked about before, where reflexively in Western Europe, you support uh, fan movements and people's movements. And this sport is a very working class sport. In the United States, there is a certain percentage of fans, irrespective of their politics. A lot of these people are very liberal Democrats, but then they'll back billionaire owners all the time over players or, or over uh, some sort of mass movement. And and I think uh, MLS has always been very reluctant to get involved in politics. The Black Lives Matter thing was kind of forced on them by some of their players. But short of the players demonstrating, it doesn't matter what some fan groups do, short of the players themselves demanding this, Nothing will happen in MLS and nothing will happen in any other U.S. sports league. And I should point out, too, that, I mean, there were some isolated players. I mean, like, for example, I think the Chicago goalkeeper in the game against Miami um, had a shirt or a, a, a T-shirt underneath his shirt that had a kind of a, a pro-Ukraine message in there. But it's very isolated. And, and it's interesting, Kartik, in terms of uh, your thoughts on the, on that. The only other thing I would add to that, too, is that in some ways, I mean, being in Western Europe, I mean, whether it's England or uh, Germany and, and these other countries, uh, geographically, a lot closer to Ukraine, but this is something that that is happening. I mean, this is having worldwide implications, and it is very interesting. I think in terms of MLS has kind of taken a very much hands off and and not really done much other than what the supporters have done um, and a, and a few isolated players. It doesn't seem to be 
the same when you're watching. Maybe this weekend will be different. Maybe it'll be, it'll be kind of more players kind of actually trying to get the message across because because so far that message is is, is not happening. All right, Kartik, this has been a big week, right? Uh, actually, we, well, before we get to that though, too, let's let's, let's look at this weekend um, and. It's hard in some ways, right? Because with everything going on in Ukraine, um, but but this is going to continue for a long time. But let's look ahead to this weekend and let's look at uh, some uh, some of our recommendations of games to watch. Uh, what about you, Kartik? I'm, I'm going to do Roma Atalanta uh, noon Saturday on Paramount Plus. This is a real opportunity for Roma to get back into the fight for the top four spots, and for Atalanta, who have qualified for Champions Champions League the last three seasons, now find themselves in fifth, three points out of fourth. This is a match I think they have to win. They've been inconsistent all season, dealt with in injuries. Uh, they they have uh, had some 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 issues in terms of continuity of, of of play also. So I think this is a big one to watch. It's noon on. Saturday on Paramount Plus, which I know coincides with some big games in Germany and England, but I'm recommending this one. All right. So my recommendation is Leicester City against Leeds United on Saturday, 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time on USA and Universo. This one is going to be, I mean, for me at least, um, the Jesse Marsh show. I mean, to see, I mean, it's so it's so difficult, right? Going into, I mean, he's only been a, a coach for less than a week. Uh, he got appointed what Monday or Tuesday? Well, I think it was Monday. But you I mean there's no chance that he's going to be able to actually get the team changed overnight just in one week. However, Leicester City, as as we've seen, uh, injury uh, you kind of uh, riddled, but really, really poor in form of late. And um, this will be an interesting match. I mean, I think Leeds United has a good chance of, of at least uh, getting a win here or a draw, which which they desperately need. And I'm interested to see kind of in terms of uh, Jesse Marsh and, and hopefully he'll have a, a good showing in that first game because I, I believe in him. Um, not just because he's American, but I believe in him in terms of his coaching ability. I, and I'm, I mean, I, I'm hoping that Leeds stay up, but this will be a, a fascinating match to watch. So, Kartik, this week, uh, you and I and Kyle Fansler, we were all over the news about the uh, U.S. deal that was done uh, with uh, Turner Sports. Uh, the U.S. Um, Turner Sports signed a $200 million plus deal. Uh, for the next eight years to carry uh, games from home games from the U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team beginning in 2023 uh, onwards. Uh, it's not going to be a lot of really attractive games. I mean, if the U.S. qualifies, uh, if if when the U.S. automatically qualifies for the 2026 World Cup, which hasn't been decided yet, um, they're not going to be having World Cup qualifiers. They're going to have a lot of friendlies. Uh, on top of that, too, of course, you have the U.S. women's national team. So you'll have some more meaningful games for that. And uh, any listeners to this podcast stream will know a few days ago we had a an episode that went into um, some detail in regards to the announcement. However, there's a lot of stories that happened uh, and some additional insight and, and, and kind of uh, analysis that we can give here, too, that we haven't done thus far Kartik, I I have a bad omen about this. <laughs> I I'm going in with a clean slate, thinking like op, kind of an open mind, thinking that this Turner deal is going to be great for the United States. But there's a couple of <laughs> issues I have. First of all, I think on late Thursday, uh, the NBA on TNT show did a segment 
with Charles Barkley, and I think Shaq was on there too, saying like, hey, great news. Uh, Turner Sports has uh, acquired the rights to the U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team uh, for the next eight years and a major deal. They did the same exact thing five years ago. <laughs> and, and, and it's almost like a bad omen in a way, too. We know how everything turned out with the Champions League. Five years ago, they did the same exact thing and talked about the, the Champions League and how they were going to... And at the time, Charles Barkley was five years ago said, ah, the U.S. suck. This is, would have been right after the uh, U.S. Uh, didn't qualify for the World Cup. And then on Thursday night, he said the same thing. Yeah, the U.S. suck. You mean, it's not a message. If I'm Turner Sports and I'm one of the executives there, I'm like, hey, Charles, we have the rights to the U.S. and, and you're, you're seeing the team sucks. Why should anyone who's a basketball fan who's not really into soccer, uh, who may be interested in soccer or learning about this? I mean, if, if Charles Barkley says the team sucks, well, why should I bother watching? So that's that's almost a bad omen in a way. But the, the second part of this, Kartik, is a story that you were on top of from day one and you asked cindy paulo cone uh, about you mean the u.s soccer media rights when you interviewed her but one of the big questions that you had for her and she went into a lot of detail was all the other things that are included in this deal and and those things that were included in that deal were not even mentioned in the press release and and a couple of those things were the games from the uh, the youth teams so so the uh, you mean U twenty U twenty three U S men U S women was not even mentioned in the press release from from Turner Sports, but the bigger issue was the U S Open Cup. In that press release, there was not one word about the U S Open Cup. So, what does that say to you? What does that tell you, Kartik, in terms of was that a mistake or was that on purpose? Or, or what's going on here with Turner Sports and U.S. soccer and, and the U.S. Open Cup? Yeah, I, I was really disappointed that in the press release there was no mention of it or the U.S. youth national teams, the things that uh, President Cindy Parlo-Cohn had mentioned to me. Uh, it, and by the way, there, uh, we're recording this on a Friday. There was an election on Saturday uh, between Parlo-Cohn and the former President Carlos Cordero. So this could the, the calling her president may be dated by the time you listen to this. Just uh, one of one to mention that um but that she she uh was very upbeat and enthusiastic when i spoke to her uh, several weeks ago about the idea of bundling other properties that u.s soccer has never really done anything with from a television standpoint or sold piecemeal or sold on a per game basis uh like uh youth national teams and U.S. Open Cup with the national teams. You leverage the power of the men's and women's national teams to get exposure for some of these other properties, which I was really enthusiastic about and I think is a fantastic way of looking at the federation overall as an, as an entire soccer entity with governance responsibilities and also many other facets to its business beyond the men's and women's national teams. So – it was kind of stunning to see the press release from Turner Sports, which just talked about, hey, we got all these men's and women's national team matches and uh, did not even and it, almost to the point where it was like we've acquired the rights to the men's and women's national team, not we've acquired the rights to all the properties associated with U.S. soccer. So that is concerning. Uh, that all having been said, Chris, and I will get more into this in a minute, but I, I am really upbeat about this deal in what it can do for U.S. soccer and for those uh, men's and women's national teams. Yeah, I'm kind of downbeat on this, Karthik, Karthik too. I mean, in terms of the money, the money, I, I mean, the, the whole thing, and, and you were some, somebody who was championing championing in, uh, this uh, years ago, saying like it, it's time for U.S. 
Soccer to unbundle the deal with Major League Soccer, where it was together, uh, because in many ways it kind of held back the U.S. men and the U.S. women even more so uh, in these deals, because they were, I mean, U.S. women winning all these World Cups, uh, mass popularity, and then meanwhile, um, MLS TV ratings plateau, really not really increasing that much. Uh, disappointments and not not the deal that uh, the broadcasters thought they were getting. So you were always kind of finding for like, hey, this, this uncouple this, this uncouple this deal so that U.S. soccer can go alone. So from a business point of view, I think it makes sense. And I think uh, they will be better financially off in this deal than they would have been if they had partnered with MLS. So that's a positive for, for U.S. soccer. They'll get more of the, the revenue. And then hopefully they can put that towards growing the game or in reality, probably paying off some of these lawyers for some of these lawsuits they've had. Um so I, I'm I'm a little bit downbeat just in terms of Turner's first start in this. I mean, soccer coverage is all about the details, and so far they completely missed out on the details. They didn't even realize that I think they even had U.S. Open Cup. So what happens is when a press release goes out, um, this is for listeners, is oftentimes you'll have a whole bunch. I mean, so they'll send it to everyone and anyone and everyone. So you'll have publications such as, I don't know, the New York Times or The Verge or all from across kind of the media or soccer or sports in general. They'll get the press release and then they'll go ahead and kind of rewrite that press release and put that into an article. So what happens is this major deal that was announced this week, it doesn't mention U.S. Open Cup anywhere. The only ones that were able to actually know that what was in this were, were us. We were the ones that were the first ones to ask Turner Sports, like, hey, I mean, you, Cindy Paolo Cohn, when she spoke to us, said that U.S. Open Cup is in this. Is that included? And Turner Sports had to go and check. They weren't sure. They were like, okay, uh, good question. Let me get back to you on this one. That's a worrying sign. That if they don't know <laughs> what they're getting, it feels to me like it's almost like an afterthought. It's like, hey, we want to get the U.S. men's games and the women's games, especially, and we want to put Turner Sports back on the map with soccer and. And we're interested in getting uh, MLS rights, and we're also interested in other sports. We want to make Turner Sports and Warner Media and this future uh, partnership, this merger with Discovery. We want to be the the soccer home uh, in the United States. But from the start, though, this this is not a good sign. Even though I know a lot of listeners right now are saying, like, "Hey, U.S. Open Cup's not a big deal, Chris. Even it's not a tournament that's it's not it's not like the FA Cup. It's not going to bring in thousands of viewers, hundreds of thousands of viewers. But it is important because it's part of the deal, and it feels like, in terms of the press release, it feels like the U.S. Open Cup is an afterthought. It feels like U.S. Uh, Turner Sports was like, "Yeah, we want U.S. rights to the games for the men and women." And yeah, okay, open cups included, but okay, I guess I guess I guess we'll take that too cuz we can't exclude it. So I'm I'm downbeat on this Kartik. I don't think it's a good start to a relationship and also even just the Charles Barkley comments too. If you haven't seen the clips, go to uh Twitter and look at World Soccer Talk there and you'll see the clips that we have there. It's embarrassing. It's not a good start and Turner Sports has a lot of work to do to really turn things around. Their Bleacher Reports products, the BR Live, Turner Sports in general, if you looked at if you asked any soccer fan in the United States and to rate Turner Sports and soccer kind of the soccer coverage on a scale of 0 to 10 with 10 being kind of you know amazing, 
it's probably a three. They've got a long way to go to actually kind of regain that trust and show that they know soccer. And I will give them a, a chance, but so far I'm not confident. In, in fairness, uh, to to my kind of pro Turner uh, spin on this on this. Uh, 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 this event and on you know some of my past commentary about how well they cover uh, basketball. Now I have to say that the first year or two they covered the NCAA basketball tournament because I don't watch the NBA. Okay, I, I plainly admit I don't watch any. Just for listeners to know, I don't watch any American professional sports outside of soccer, uh, but I do watch college sports. And the first couple years, the first year, the first two years, I'd say they covered the NCAA basketball tournament. It was clear you had a bunch of guys who only knew about the NBA that were analyzing college basketball games, which is a different sport. It's like taking guys who only cover the Premier League and having them cover MLS, just dumping them in during the MLS playoffs, something like that, right? Or it's even probably even more sharp a contrast than that. Uh, So there was a learning curve, and finally they kind of got around to understanding college basketball a little better. But uh, yeah, now that I think about that, it could be rough sailing for Turner if, again, their point of view is completely based around the NBA. Maybe that's why we had Steve Nash in the studio for Champions League. Maybe that's why the promotion was all done in uh, in, in an NBA uh, kind of manner. And then the view the, there was this view that they could connect with younger, hipper fans, kind of like you see uh, market uh, basketball at times marketed. So I, uh, I I I am skeptical from that perspective. I'm upbeat because I think this gives U.S. Soccer a partner that's invested in them. That's not invested in MLS with U.S. Soccer stuff as a throw-in. Okay, uh, I think it's important also that the that U.S. Soccer has a long-term deal which goes beyond the 2026 World Cup, which this does. Uh, this is an eight-year deal. I think it's also really important that U.S. the U.S. get itself. In a, um, in a in a good uh, streaming platform window. And HBO Max is that. But again, Chris, HBO Max was only mentioned in reference to the men's and women's national teams. So it is possible U.S. Open Cup, which I'm particularly concerned about, I'll admit. And then uh, the other properties that we've talked about, youth national teams, et cetera, that, that stuff may end up... I, I, Somewhere else, right? And some other streaming platform that Warner Media, Turner Sports, uh, uh, Discovery, after that merger goes through, it, it appears to be uh, receiving antitrust approval. At least it's on track for that. So after that merger is consummated, um, may end up somewhere else. And not on HBO Max. And so you might clearly see segregation. This is part of the issue I've had with ESPN. And I haven't really talked about it on this podcast very much, Chris. I'm going to keep this short. But, um, I, you know, there is sort of a segregation that goes on with properties on ESPN where you then begin to perceive things that are on uh, ESPN as bigger than on ESPN2. Things that are on ESPN2 as bigger than things that are on ESPN+. And so on and so forth. And if... Um, Turner starts to use uh, streaming platforms beyond HBO Max for the other things that they didn't mention in the press release, then you're seeing a clear segregation, in my opinion. Oh, well, the stuff on HBO Max is actually more important than the stuff on Discovery Plus or whatever it is. So that is now a new concern that has emerged for me really just from that press release, honestly. Uh, If that press release had mentioned Open Cup, as you you said, or mentioned uh, the youth national teams, I probably would be 100% cheery on this deal. Uh, Still, I'm upbeat on it. Overall, 
overall, I'm I'm more pro than con, but uh, I do have some skepticism. I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. Open Cup games end up on Bleacher Report. So I mean, available for free, and anyone on Bleacher Report can can watch those games. Um, but but for those listeners who don't have the experience of uh, watching Turner Sports' coverage of soccer when they had the Champions League rights just a few years ago, if you're new to soccer or or you missed their coverage, I mean, it's just just to highlight some of the things that they got wrong. I mean, one is which is, seems so stupid now, right? Is that their motto that their uh, their mission? One of their missions was to not include any. Um, basically interviews with managers or players uh, pre-match or post-match, which seems so strange, right? I mean, because like some of the, 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 I mean, I guess their take was like, ah, they're all media trained. They all say the same thing. They don't really say anything interesting. Let's skip the whole uh, doing kind of interviews with players and, and managers. You look at CBS Sports and what Guillaume uh, Balaguer has done with those post-match interviews and how he's like right there on on the pitch asking questions to uh Courtois and all these other players getting some really insight and you can you can tell too that uh Guillaume has a really great relationship with a lot of these players that he's, he's interviewed uh they trust him vice versa etc that's one thing that um Turner had Turner had two studios they had a studio in Los Angeles and in New York um Atlanta and they would go back and forth between studios which was really Interesting idea. It did not. It, it, they did not pull it off by any means. And then you've got um, the disaster that was BR Live. That the the streaming service that they had that was uh, encountered numerous problems, and um, it, it was just it was not a good time. And, and that's the thing, though, too, with Turner Sports is it's more important than ever to get the details right, to do everything right. Um, the other thing, Kartik, that I find interesting is a couple of my different sources have told me that the way that Turner Sports is positioning that this is new, this is different, what they're doing, is that they're blaming the Champions League uh, issues on the world feed. And anyone that's watched the Champions League on Turner Sports, the world feed sometimes, or even on CBS Sports, well, actually, CBS Sports is different because they're, they're using their own commentators. But the world feed is actually, you feature some of the best commentators from around the world. You mean, so, so for them to position, to blame the world feed for the problem, the world feed was just the commentary in the games. And so what it tells me is, one, is they're trying to deflect the, uh, the blame and try and say, hey, well, it really, really wasn't us. It was, it's, it's a world feed. Which is not true. Which is which is baloney. The second thing, though, too, is that it does tell me uh, that they're planning on doing an original production. They're they're planning on having their own commentators call the games because uh, you mean to put their stamp on it. Um, So, while I definitely, without any shadow of a doubt, want Turner Sports to succeed and I want them to do well in soccer. Uh, I don't think they're starting off in a good place, and I think they've got a lot of work to do. And I really, really hope that they reach out to experts from the broadcast side in order to do this right, because this has the possibilities of being the same as it was, I mean, like uh, three or four years ago, where it, it, it was not good. Can't take a couple more things on this one, too, because it is a big story. Um some of our listeners and readers have been saying, like, Kartik, well, what about uh, U.S. men's national team games 
um, on over-the-air television. And you, and you wrote a piece that went into more detail. But if you can give uh, listeners kind of a, an update on that, does this deal mean that we're not going to get any uh, over-the-air uh, U.S. games? Yeah, I think that that's what that means. Because, look, uh, Turner had no way of let, – let's remind listeners what happened with the the Premier League rights. And, and NBC retained them. However, it was Turner that really pushed them, right? They they were the ones who reportedly made a bid that, that may, may have been higher than NBC's bid. But they had no way of broadcasting over-the-air matches. So what was their solution? Hey, Premier League, we're going to sub-license some matches to Fox. That ended up being, from what I've subsequently learned, one of the red flags about their bid to the Premier League. I mean, the overriding thing is that NBC was a really good partner, and they like what they've gotten from NBC. And if NBC was in the ballpark, financially, they were going to stay with them. But one of the red flags was, hey, you're going to go to Fox for broadcast. Now, I I uh, don't... Uh, I, I don't think that that is possible under this deal at all, and, and maybe that's a good thing. So that means the games are only going to be on TNT and TBS. They are only going to be on cable. Now, this having been said, as I said five years ago when they acquired Champions League rights, TNT and TBS are more mainstream cable channels than FS1 or FS2 and than NBCSN was, which is now no more. So this is akin to putting games on USA, which is a move by NBC I've favored. Uh, and I think that that's going to help the Premier League long-term being on USA rather than a sports network that is obscure to everybody but sports fans. Uh, so it is good, but it's not broadcast network. And there is now no possibility the U.S. will have any game outside of a major tournament, which is contracted to Fox or CBS. Uh, that, that being, of course, uh, the Gold Cup, World Cup. Uh, and when I'm, ta- I'm talking about the U.S. men, World Gold Cup, World Cup, or uh, CONCACAF Nations League, which remains on CBS for at least one more cycle um, on, on network television. Yeah, Kartik, this reminds me too of how important it is for the US to qualify for this World Cup, the 2022 World Cup, because, you mean, it, again, it's quite possible that they may not make it. Hopefully they will. We want them to do it. Um, it's going to be a tough uh, run of three matches coming up uh, later this month. But if they don't qualify for the World Cup, it's you know disaster for Fox and their World Cup rights uh, for 2022, but also it doesn't uh, do well then for for Turner Sports from 2023 onwards for the men. Now this deal is that starts in 2023. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Turner, you, you Turner has taken a bit of a risk, I should say, uh, to to, uh, to parrot what you're saying, Chris. If the U.S. does not qualify, this becomes a disaster. Yeah, it's them. it's basically yeah yeah it's nothing, right? It's it, it's it's just warm up games. For the 2026 World Cup, which we will be automatically qualified for, but morale drops big time. But but yeah, we hope that they they qualify. Um, but still, you mean nothing's done until until it's done. But the other thing about this though too, Kartik, is that um, all the games. So there's going to be about 20 games available from 2023 onwards. So 20 games for the U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team combined. So 20 games, all 20 are going to be live on HBO Max, and about half of them are going to be T- uh, TBS or um, or um, TNT, right? So, but then if for the men's side, you mean what are you going to? Sh- what games are they going to be? Uh, it's going to be friendlies. So I think it's really more important than ever for the U.S. to get planning some major friendlies. Uh, like, for example, 
the U.S. women's national team um, in a few weeks will be playing a two two friendlies. And uh, I'm not sure if you saw this one, Kartik. Do you know who they, who they're playing in in a, in a few weeks? I have no idea. Uh, Uzbekistan. So they're playing two friendlies against Uzbekistan, which you know, I mean, we the, on the women's side, there's been a whole bunch of games where it's like. I mean, in not she believes cup, but outside of that, some really, really just, just like you mean, they were winning like nine nothing, seven nothing. It's it's really not that competitive for the women either. Um, it's great for Uz- Uzbekistan as far as experience, but that's that's my fear too. Is that the U.S. needs to do a better job of planning major friendlies? Uh, uh, yeah, and Uzbekistan is not the right nation to play right now. <laughs> Uh, not, not not that they made this arrangement after Putin invaded uh, invaded Ukraine, but Uzbekistan has been uh, very, very pro-Putin in their governance. Now, there's a lot of domestic dissent from that, but they've been very pro-Putin uh, now. So that's uh, that's an, also an interesting choice of opposition. Yeah, so that's, so that's my concern is, okay, so this deal is great for U.S. soccer, the business, but I mean, these matches, if you do have a game that's uh, U.S. women against Uzbekistan next year, and, and and they say, okay, let's play again next year. I mean, having it on TNT or TBS is great. And the same thing for the, for the men. If it's U.S. against, uh, I don't know, El Salvador in a friendly. I mean, that's not going to move the needle. So the U.S. does – I mean, we've talked about this, I think, on the podcast earlier this week is that um, – we understand there's plans in place to have a major tournament in the U.S. in 2025. Uh, and you might have England coming. You might have Italy or Germany or Argentina or Brazil coming to play a friendly tournament uh, to kind of use that as preparation for the 2026 World Cup. That's fantastic. That would be a great uh, hit on TNT and TBS. And, and a lot of people interested in watching that. Uh, in the build-up to the 2026 World Cup in in North America, but uh, yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to uh, there's a lot riding on this, and and again, too step by step, at least they've got a good deal right now. The U.S. Uh, um, Soccer Federation, and uh, let's see where it goes from here. But but Turner, I mean, I I really want them to succeed, but they really really have to do a much better job of getting everything right because you mean. Yeah, we've gone through so many uh, negative things in the past in terms of things that they screwed up on. Almost every every Champions League game that they had on, there were mistakes. The production was so poor. Um, what's changed from then to now? And 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 it's a new company, Warner Media, and with the merger with Discovery, hopefully then to that that uh, keeps them kind of focusing more on the quality because at the end of the day that's what we want is quality coverage yeah and chris just to close as i've mentioned many times in uh, on in written form on the world soccer talk.com website i uh, i believe that this is a positive that discovery is involved because discovery uh, unbeknownst to a lot of u.s viewers because they just know discovery for documentaries and learning shows and, and that sort of stuff nature shows uh D- discovery has a long history of broadcasting uh football or broadcasting soccer uh, in on their channels in europe so I think that they will have some understanding of the product. Now, by no means will Discovery be running Turner Sports, though. That's the problem, right? The Turner Sports people might be the very same people that were involved uh, in in, uh, the previous incarnation of this company, which – would be a negative thing. So I, I would hope there would be some influence from Discovery after the merger in their soccer broadcasts and their soccer production. Yeah, and the same concerns that we have about the U.S. coverage uh, from Turner 
might end up being the MLS coverage too, because we'll find out in a few weeks um, if Warner Media gets the uh, the deal or a major part of the deal for Major League Soccer. So, yes, stay tuned on that one. One more thing, real fast, before we move on to listen to mailbag, and that's uh, Prende TV, which is the free streaming service from uh, Televisa Univision Univision, uh, which will become. Uh, VIX at the end of month, the month, March 31st, uh, they've added select games from the Colombian and Peruvian soccer leagues. So you can watch uh, Alianza Lima and you mean Independiente Medellin and a whole bunch of other teams uh, for free on Prende TV. All right, listen to Mailbag. Uh, first up, regarding the U.S. men's national team deal, Ra says, so HBO got the rights to U.S. soccer. We are indeed seeing a new player emerge. It will be interesting to see if they will get further rights with either MLS or Copa Libertadores. I will say, Kartik, I, I am a HBO Max subscriber already. Uh, I love it. Some really, I mean, do you have it? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, not only do I have HBO Max, it's my go-to streaming service. It's the streaming service I, I use the most. Uh, they have the most good movies, documentaries, original programs, all that stuff for me on there. Now, I realize that's not everyone's cup of tea because HBO has been specifically focused on uh, politics, world affairs, finance, right, history, stuff that I like. But uh, uh, to me, it's very, it's very natural then to start watching soccer on that same platform, at, at least for me. Yeah, and it's ten bucks a month. Uh, the pricing the pricing starts at. It does mean for a lot of soccer fans, it's another streaming service to consider. Um, again, this will be twenty twenty three, but from the entertainment and movies and shows side of things, uh, it's one of the best streaming services out there. I think as far as quality content, I mean, there's a lot more good stuff to, for me to watch on there than Paramount Plus in terms of the things I like to watch. Um, but uh, yeah, Chris says, in addition to the U.S. national teams, Warner Media is also likely going to announce in a few weeks that they are renewing their deal with the AEW um, wrestling. They are also talking with NASCAR about being a partner again, beginning, beginning in 2025 when the current contract with Fox and M- NBC expires. Raymond says, now that the U.S. men's national team has left some Soccer United marketing, do you think the Mexican national team will do so as well in order to get a better deal? Uh, that one, I don't, I don't think I so. Don't think so. I, I think, yeah, the, I mean, I think the Me- Mexican uh, Federation loves Soccer United marketing and everything they've done to promote uh, the, the Mexican national team in the United States, even to the extent of having Americans such as Landon Donovan and Lexi Lalas holding up scarves supporting the, the Mexican national team in the uh, World Cup, uh, the last World Cup. Um, and all of the attendances and fans that they, I mean, that they've been able to generate revenue, they've been able to generate from uh, Mexican friendlies. Mexico hardly plays in the U.S. and in, in Mexico anymore, their home games. Uh, friendlies, almost all of them are in the U.S. Yeah, and, and keep in mind that the uh, that some has gotten great deals for Mexico on the open market, right? They, they have not bundled it with MLS. What they've done is they've sold the property separately. And in addition, the ties are, 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 are much deeper now with League's Cup. The, the FMF, the, the federation in Mexico, is actually run by the clubs. It's, it's very different than you see in some other countries, in, particularly in Western European countries, where you have uh, the, the professional clubs and the professional leagues are subservient to the federation. I would argue in Mexico, even though it's structured 
on paper, it's similar to the way it's structured in Europe. In practice, uh, the the federation is run by the professional clubs. And in fact, hiring and firing decisions for the national team coach are influenced by the professional clubs. So those professional clubs are in bed with Major League, so to speak, with Major League Soccer and Soccer United marketing even deeper than they were when the last deal was signed. So I, I think there's no chance, almost no chance of that happening. They really like Soccer United marketing. And uh, it's a good partner for some. I think that they, the, the, uh, conflicts that I, I would complain about with the USSF maybe are not apparent with some, although, you know, you mentioned Landon Donovan and Alexi Lalas. That, that, that much is true. But I, I think uh, this was another reason why I felt like the U.S. Soccer Federation needed to de-link from Soccer United Marketing. I didn't talk about it as much as all the other uh, very specific conflict of interest issues that, I, that I've discussed through the years. But one of the things that bothered me is I felt like some had more of an emphasis and more of a because it's a big, bigger cash cow, right, for them, had more of an emphasis on Mexico than the U.S. So if you're with a media partner, take the whole MLS part of it out. You're with a media partner that's based in your country that's promoting your rival national teams uh, more aggressively than you. Well, maybe you should go out and break out on your own or find another media partner. And U.S. soccer has done that to their credit. All right, moving on. ESPN Plus. Uh, I have been enlightened, Kartik, uh, thanks to the listeners on this podcast. So first up is Taylor. Taylor says, I think the part you are missing is that you have an ESPN account. There is a section to choose your favorite teams and leagues and players. If you have teams chosen as a favorite and they have a game on, on any ESPN platform, as soon as that game is live, it will be the first option on the ESPN Plus app. I know this because I have eight to nine favorite teams listed. And without fail, if one of those teams is playing on ESPN+, Plus, it's first on the viewing list. If you haven't chosen your teams yet, uh, uh, go ahead. And and I went ahead and did that this morning, Kartik. So I added Swansea City as my team. And now I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to get uh, enlightened and to log on to ESPN+, Plus and see Swansea the first thing every single time. Wow. I didn't know about that, but on Apple TV, you can do that, which is why um, Apple TV, those games pop up for me right away, which, which is uh, obviously uh, all, of the, uh, all of the teams I've checked, which is, I think, the entire championship, right? And, uh, you know, number of Premier League teams, number of Bundesliga teams, couple Serie A teams. Uh, the thing that it, it, that has uh, uh, done me in is that the other team I've checked outside of soccer, only one other team, which is University of Miami men's basketball, and there are a lot of times now where I don't want to know the score and I'm watching the game on tape and I turn on Apple TV to watch a movie and the score pops up. So that's the only drawback. But Apple TV, you can do that as well. You can go through, you can click who are your favorites. And then, like I said, any championship game pops up at the top of my watch next Apple TV on my box because I've checked every single, all 24 teams in the championship. So the funny thing about this though, Kartik, is that you and I have been avid users of ESPN Plus for the last, what, two to three years. We never knew about this feature until now, which seems like a so basic feature. You would think that when you sign up for ESPN Plus, uh, the first thing it asks you is name your favorite teams. And the next step is, okay, okay you mean now go ahead and, and here's how to use ESPN Plus. As far as I know, it's not included in the, the sign-up process. So I'm, I don't go to ESPN.com that much other than to watch uh, ESPN Plus games. Um, you mean it should be something that's more apparent. I think in some ways it does show kind of the disconnect in some ways between ESPN.com and then ESPN Plus, the app. Uh, 
I mean, they are related, but they are different, and they're not kind of synced together. Well, they are now, but I didn't re- I didn't realize that, that until now, uh, thanks to uh, Taylor and a bunch of other um, listeners too that pointed that out. Anthony says on, on a related topic, I noticed that ESPN Plus no longer shows MLS matches in Spanish. Is that is this foresha- foreshadowing that the streaming package will be sold separately for Spanish and ESPN is only interested in the English rights? Last season, they relied on their Latin American uh, talent to call some of the matches. But I wonder if their investment in La Liga is making them not have as much talent available to commentate games. And I think it's that, uh, Anthony, the latter. I mean, so... From the Spanish language side, uh, Fox Deporters has the Spanish language games that that FS1 and Fox has. Uh, Univision has rights to uh, their own games too. But um, for the ESPN Plus games, it's got to be just that they don't have the talent available because they're doing a whole bunch of La Liga games and other games and and maybe they're short-staffed at this time. Uh, Jim says, I am a Liverpool fan who was able to watch the uh, League Cup final. No problems on my Apple TV. Certainly have, happy to have them win the shootout. And Kartik, just as an aside, what a game, and probably one of the best nil-nil games I've ever seen. And it's one of those things that a lot of American sports fans are always like, ah, soccer. Yeah, I'm going to get excited about a 0-0 game, huh? If anyone says that, tell them to go watch the tape of uh, Liverpool against Chelsea uh, 2022 uh, League Cup final, because that was absolutely amazing. Jim continues, he says, uh, due to family commitments, I left right after the final whistle. At 10 p.m. later that day, I went to watch the replay of the celebration scenes on ESPN Plus on a Roku in a different room. I was shocked to experience no formal fast forwarding function on the replay. So I had to tap forward 100 times since each remote click only advanced 10 seconds. Has your site been made aware of any similar bugs in the streaming apps commonly used for soccer? And I know, I know, Jim, that if, if it's a game that's on, say, ESPN or ESPN2, I mean, kind of on the TV side um, or the, the linear side, oftentimes ESPN will prevent you from fast-forwarding those programs. Um, at least in the past, they did. ESPN Plus, it should be, you should be able to fast-forward. So I think it might be more of a uh, a function of Roku, perhaps, where like Apple TV is a lot easier to kind of fast forward or kind of like scrub real 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 far ahead that that's my guess on that one jim um dave says in regards to the popularity of the premier league it's interesting that you're following the premier league more due to the concentration of quality players and teams not that long ago la liga teams had a undefeated season in the champions league and europa league knockouts except against each other and one loss in the europa league do you do you re, do you expect it to remain uh, cyclical or cyclical, or is there too much money in the Premier League for other leagues to have a uh, a turn at dominance? Kartik, what's what's your... that's the six million pound question everyone's asking. I mean, that's uh, I, I I have always said it's cyclical, and I think the La Liga cycle on top lasted an extremely long time. Actually, I would I would argue from twenty ten to twenty twenty, the whole time La Liga was the best league in the world. Now, who, what was the second best league varied from season to season. Some seasons it was the Premier League. Some seasons it wasn't. But uh, now it, it, it feels like the 
what was eventually going to happen, which was that TV money was going to raise the, the, the English league in general above everyone else because there's money being spent uh, by by clubs even further down the table. I mean, I, 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 I've I stressed it over and over again on other shows I've been on uh, that I, I to me, it's still mind-blowing that Burnley got Veghorst, a guy who I would consider to be watching the Bundesliga the last, let's say, five seasons, one of the four or five best players uh, pure goal-scoring number nines in that league, that he would go to a club like Burnley. And we have several examples of this, right? The last couple of seasons of Southampton and Leicester and Aston Villa signing players that they wouldn't have been able to sign at their level just five seasons earlier. And comparable clubs in La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga cannot sign those sorts of players. So I I think it might be a long-term thing until TV and media money crashes. Um, and the popularity of the Premier League begins to uh, to ev- uh, to the kind of plateau outside of of Europe. I, the international television rights for the Premier League, I, I believe, I, I lost the math on this, but I believe might be higher than all these other leagues combined. I, I think they are, and I, I, I that was a that was in the last TV cycle. So I need to go back and and do the math again. But I, I'm pretty sure it is. So uh, still, so that explains kind of what. What's happened? So while I've always been of the of the view that it's cyclical, it was La Liga last decade, it was Serie A before that. At one time, the French league was the best league in the world, believe it or not. Uh, at one point in my lifetime, uh, Bundesliga clearly has been up there at, at, at times. Maybe the cycle is over and we have a dominant league on top with permanent hegemony because of TV money and sponsorship deals and everyone else below it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if in the Champions League this season we get two more or maybe even three uh, Premier League ti- uh, teams in the, in the semifinals. And, and, and the other thing, though, too, is it, it is a knockout competition. So there's always that element of teams from, you know, if it, could be, it could be a French team or it could be a German team that, that, that actually progresses really far in the tournament with it being kind of a, a knockout thing, almost like a MLS Cup, where oftentimes the winner of the competition is not the, the best team from, from the, that season. It's just the one that uh, got hot uh, during the stages of, of the latter stages of a competition. But yeah, I think in terms of money-wise, I think the Premier League is going to be dominant for a long time. And I think um, maybe it'll, it'll change. It's bound to change at some point in the future. Just it, when is that? Because in many ways, too, the, the amount of TV revenue that the Premier League uh, gets from international rights, so rights outside of the UK, is for the first time ever greater than what they, they get from um, the rights in the UK. And those international rights will continue to grow. So yeah, it, it makes it for the La Liga, for the Bundesliga, uh, Liga, etc. Uh, it makes it harder for those clubs to do as well you mean on the pitch because they're not able to buy uh, some of these players because they're getting outbid by Premier League teams. So it, it comes down to how well the Premier League teams buy players and make the right decisions oftentimes. I mean, you can have a lot of money and spend it uh, kind of uh, frivolously. So I think a lot of it comes down to uh, kind of the, the science of transfers and, and signing players and making the right decisions. Away goals rule. So Dave and Chris and Corey had some feedback on this one in terms of the the away goals goals rule. Uh, Dave says, I like the away goals rule, but it seems broadly on the way out. One hypothesis I heard is that there is a greatly reduced home field advantage 
compared with decades ago, such that it was becoming preferable to have the second leg anyway. I will be interested in any data on ratings, reactions, etc. as the new format proceeds. Chris Guardino says, in, in addition to watching the Premier League and other leagues this winter, I've been watching a lot more NHL this season due to having a team in Seattle. One of the things that I found interesting is that the NHL uses the same format of the shootout, at least in the regular season that MLS used to use in the early years, along with the old NASL to decide tied games that go past the overtime period. With this in mind, I was wondering if either of you see FIFA adopting this format to replace the standard penalty kick shootout we are used to. Kartik, I would say that um, MLS has gotten things right um, and they've gotten a lot of things wrong. I would say that the concept of the shootout is a good idea, except it should not be used to settle uh, tied games tied league games in season games and that's what mls did where you know a game would end 2-2 fantastic game great goals great excitement and then mls to say okay rather than having a draw during the regular season in the early days of mls we're now going to have a shootout and we're like and i was in the stadium for a lot of those games i'm like why why bother who cares like it's a draw it's a great game that's you mean both teams kind of canceled each other out both of them kind of uh ended up in the a tie it's a fair result Let's just leave. Let's just go. And no, they, they play the shootout. But um, now if it's a cup competition and it's a League Cup final, I mean, you, you saw that the penalty kicks were exciting with Liverpool against Chelsea. Uh, but maybe the shootout is a better way of determining the eventual winner than something that is more... You mean, I don't know. I, I, again, it's a, di- a different format. But uh, what, do you, what do you think, Kartik? Are you a fan of the shootouts? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I. I mean, so. So I think it's very. It's. It's so random and it's so. Uh, so I think punitive. It, it just like even this. I. 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 You. You talk about how great that nil-nil match was, Chris. But I leave myself feeling. Leave the match feeling very unhappy and dissatisfied because it came down to pens and everybody made it until the keepers took their shots. So no, I don't like shootouts. I wish there was a better way. I think there is a better way, and the better way is probably the old NASL style shootout. Honestly. It's the one American invention in this sport that I, I embrace because there's more. I think there's more skill involved in that than just pure luck, like a penalty shootout. Okay, all right, okay, okay, good. So you're okay with the NS, NASL shootout and then the, the MLS shootout, not so much in terms of the way it was used. But no, that makes sense. Corey says, "I have a solution for the away goal rule that you brought up in last week's show: a double elimination bracket." The Champions League knockout phase has 29 matches in its current format, and 14 of them are first legs when no team is facing losing out stakes. If UEFA adopted a double elimination bracket, much like we see in the College World Series, with 16 teams, we would get one more game overall at 30, with the same number of lose and out matches, but each of these, each one of those guaranteed to start on even footing at nil-nil. No dead rubbers or playing for ties. Win to advance. And each, if each team was seeded 1 through 16, there would be an easy way to determine which clubs would host which matches, guaranteeing some level of, ho- of balance and ho- of home games. I think this would add a ton of drama to each match. Kartik, let's move on just because we've got a lot of uh, more comments uh, to fit into the show. But, but Corey, good stuff there. 
that's definitely uh, definitely a deep a deep thought on that one. Uh, World Cup, and this is this is big if true. Drew, Drew, this is amazing. Drew says I was toying around online last weekend and came across a tidbit that indicated that Fox Sports will give the World Cup final priority alpha on December eighteenth, twenty twenty two. Supposedly, in order to allow the match to finish and not bleed into Fox's NFL Sunday that week, the NFL will not schedule any 1 p.m. Eastern Time matches to air on Fox Sports, and all of Fox's games will air in the 4 p.m. Eastern window that afternoon as part of Fox's renewed NFL TV deal. That's good news. And and what it means, too, is that... uh, the lead-in for NFL will be the World Cup. And obviously, no matter what happens, as long as it happens, the World Cup final is going to be a great big game with a lot of viewers live on Fox, as we would imagine. Um, but making sure that, uh, you mean, it, NFL fans don't get uh, upset with that. It's like, hey, what happened to my game? Like We've got a, a soccer game on. So, so that's good news. So, so excellent work there, Drew. Greg says, I wanted to bring up the issue of a potential World Cup every two years. I consider myself pretty progressive, and I'm always open to changes to tournaments and scheduling. Therefore, I personally would support a World Cup every two years for the simple reason that they are the sporting event I look forward to the most. And life is just too short. I do, however, emphasize empathize with those who feel it would congest the schedule and take some of the prestige out of the tournament. I was wondering if the obvious alternative is to have the tournament every three years. I find it strange that seems that it seems no one has really thought of this as an option. The schedule could be as follows, assuming the transition occurs after the 2026 World Cup. So the summer of 2026, we have the World Cup. The summer of 2027, we have the Club World Cup, which is supposed to be expanded. The summer of 2028, we have the uh, Euros, the Copa America, the Gold Cup, all of the regional tournaments. And in the summer of 2029, we have the World Cup again. This would allow for the the World Cup to uh, occur more often, as well as hype up the expanded Club World Cup by featuring it over a summer. Every year, there would be an international tournament to look forward to. And uh, as a side note, I will also die on the hill, as you guys will, that CONCACAF needs to do a joint tournament with CONMEBOL while the Euros occur like they did in 2016. Kartik, definitely an interesting thought. What's what's the issue here? Uh, I Well... I think it's better than the two-year World Cup, and it's it's definitely well thought out, Greg, in terms of uh, putting the Club World Cup, which we know is a FIFA priority, in there, uh, because then that gives them some incentive to go with this calendar and then the regional tournaments. I think, again, uh, a World Cup every three years puts excessive strain on players. However, it's not the strain of every two years, but you still will have condensed qualifying, that sort of thing that concerns me. Uh, In terms of the Euros, I think the Euros being a year before the World Cup is a bit of a concern again because of qualifying. However, uh, we've seen a model now that might work for it, which is what happened because of COVID, where uh, World Cup qualifying effectively began before the Euros were contested in 2021. And therefore, although I think one of the downsides of that is we saw some countries that were performing really well in World Cup qualifying 
uh, at that moment in time, like Serbia, Serbia in particular, who had not qualified for the Euros and we didn't get to see last summer. And they've gone on and subsequently qualified uh, at the top of a very difficult group for, for the World Cup. But uh, maybe that's the solution is Euro qualifying or sorry, World Cup qualifying in Euro, in UEFA has to be moved up to where it starts before the Euros. But then that kind of eliminates the ability to have pre-tournament friendlies which we saw uh, was, uh, was, was an issue this year. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's all complicated, but I think this is definitely a, a better starting point than what FIFA has proposed. So I, I like it, Greg. I like the thinking. I like the idea, but I think it's missing one major thing, which is the Women's World Cup. Where does the Women's World Cup fit oh, into right, this? Yeah. And, uh, well, I guess the Club World Cup year, probably. Yeah, but then, I mean, that's the whole thing that FIFA's thinking about having the Club World Cup be a su- summer tournament effectively replacing international champions cup they saw how much money uh could be generated uh from those competitions in the united states in the summer times so that's why they have their their hand in the in the pie and, and they want that club world cup so so that's that's the jeopardy too is that uh you mean 2027 is going to be the next women's world cup so you mean the club world cup the club world cup to me I'm not a fan of anyway, whether it's expanded or uh, the current one or previous ones. Um, I don't think it's needed. I don't think it's necessary. So replace replace the Women's World Cup uh, with that, and then maybe maybe that could work every three years. Let's go to the last comment because I got to run, Kartik. Uh, last but not least, uh, RJ. Actually, we'll get to you next on the next podcast with your great question. But but Mukator says uh, in regards to podcast in general. And us hitting the 1,400 mark. This episode is 1,402. We're already on our way to the to the next big number. Mercator says, "I think the more you drive, the more you drive, the more podcasts are a thing." I never drove in London, and I don't remember podcasts being a thing. Now I live in a place where I drive all the time. Podcasts are the only sort of media for that driving time. On public transport and flights, I would generally read. But now that I drive, I listen to podcasts, and that carries over into other times like flights when I would otherwise be reading. I think AirPods and the podcast app made it much easier as well. I never remembered uh, downloading podcasts back in the early 2000s. It's always been on my app on my iPhone, and uh, it became a normal thing with AirPods. Kartik, I know I know you're a big uh, fan of uh, listening to podcasts, Football Weekly, as you're driving uh, through that uh, Miami traffic. The reality is, I think uh, podcasts have had two functions for me, which are driving through traffic, as Mercator says, and as you say, Chris. I think the other the other thing is that I've now gotten into this mode of kind of uh, listening to podcasts instead of music while I work. Which means maybe I'm missing things, but that's that's kind of a newer development. But yeah, I would agree. I think podcasts are more of a thing if you drive. Absolutely. All right, listeners. Well, thank you so much for all of your feedback this week. Uh, definitely, if you've got something that you want to ask us, we'd love to read your comments out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on the uh, podcast thread on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, heading into a, uh, which which will hopefully be a good weekend for Jesse Marsh, unless you're a Leicester City fan, uh, and hopefully a good weekend then too for uh, the Atalanta game against uh, Roma, I think it was. Some big games to look forward to. What are you going to do and what should the listeners do? 
Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.